Welcome to the Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. This show is a collaborative effort between members of the Story Told, Bonus Experience, and Mage the Podcast. We're going to break down the basics of Exalted from its rules to its setting. I'm Monica, 3rd edition su supplement developer and lead mechanical developer for Exalted Essence. I'm Chaz, Exalted writer and fan. I'm Lauren, Exalted writer, developer, and walking bout of imposter syndrome. I'm Terry, producer for the show, tired, wanting to boink Harmonious Jade. Wired, wanting to boink the calibration gate. Hired, wanting to boink the calendar of Satesh. And this is episode 31, Elegy for the Fallen. Today we're talking about ghosts and the underworld in Exalted. But before we get to that, our guest today is Lauren, Exalted writer and dev. Lauren, when first did you get involved with Exalted, and when did you first fall in love or alternatively give into Stockholm Syndrome with the game and or setting? Well, I've been playing Exalted since first edition. My first gaming systems were uh, White Wolf systems. I, I was, I think my very, very first character was a, a Vampire the Masquerade character and then a very long time with Mage. <laughs> and as soon, oh yes, <laughs> Mage the Ascension is the game of my heart, but Exalted comes in very, very close second. And it, my... My then boyfriend, now husband, bought like every Exalted book as it came out and we started playing. So I think if, you know, college age me knew that I would not only be writing, but also developing for Exalted now, she she fell out of a chair somewhere. When that <laughs> Just <played>. yelling, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we, yeah, if that could have been an image, mood would have been appropriate to put under that. Uh, and also, what have you worked on recently for Exalted that our uh, listeners may be familiar with? I have done a lot of the fiction for the various books. Um, I'm currently developing uh, Many Faced Strangers. And um, with Megan Fitzgerald, I'm co-developing Hundred Devils, Night Parade, and Adversaries of the Righteous. Nice. Thank you for so much for your work on the series. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Gladly. And with that, let's discuss something 2-3-E has very little to say about. Ghosts and the Underworld. So where do ghosts come from? Ghosts are the souls of the dead who got stuck because the death of the primordials damaged the cycle of reincarnation. All souls should pass on to be reborn, but now it doesn't always work that way, and sometimes souls linger. What are the nature, then, of ghosts? Ghosts come in two primary kinds based on the two-part soul, uh, borrowed from Asian beliefs about the soul, with the lower structure being the animating force and becoming a hungry ghost. If the dead are disrespected, especially if their corporal form is uh, despoiled, the lower soul becomes an animalistic hungry ghost that hunts the living. The higher soul uh, is the seat of personhood, and mortals with unfinished business may linger in a more classic understanding of a, of a ghost lingering with unfinished business. What can ghosts do? So ghosts, much like the real-life pop culture take on the subject, are left behind shades of the person they used to be, and the powers that they have reflect that. However, ghosts are immortal, undead, post-living, Post-living. Uh, living impaired. So they have a post-living <laughs> impaired. Yeah. Essence deficient. Uh, Post-lifetime. 
So they have an eternal unlifetime to get more powerful. Uh, should they be ambitious in the afterlife and and or have a cult, which we will touch on later. In previous editions, human ghosts followed mortal plus rules. So like sort of along the same lines as like God-Blooded or Demon-Blooded, where they were like slightly more powerful than regular people, but not like Exalted Powerful. Um, and they could learn ghost-specific powers called Arcanoi. Um, and those could get really wacky. Uh, oh boy, couldn't they? Could they, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, ghosts can shapeshift and possess people and do all kinds of things you would expect a ghost to do, like possess possess a suit of armor or poltergeist activity or be spooky, uh, like fear-based effects and all that. I would also imagine that ghosts in the current edition will be able to learn necromancy, sort of the same way that a mortal can learn sorcery. But following that thought, I'm also not sure we're going to see player-facing rules for that probably going to be more like this is a write-up of a ghost who's a character who also knows how to cast these spells that's where my expectation would lie if we see a return of arcanoi as something for ghosts to use primarily as antagonists i would imagine that they would just be charms because everything in third edition is just charms lauren is nodding in agreement which, which seems yeah. like i might be right <laughs> well at, at the moment yeah in 100 devils and adversaries we do have a few ghost characters and i believe they mostly have either charms or special abilities yeah that sounds that sounds about right i believe in past editions the reason for not having them be charms was so that eclipse cast characters couldn't learn them it's the same reason that lunars had a different thing, not charms, uh, was knacks in second edition for a lot of their shape shifty stuff was to gate that behind, uh, to, to gate it away from eclipse types. Now that eclipse types are marked with the eclipse keyword instead, it, it makes that design space easier to work in. I feel like the eclipse casts are kind of like the hamburglers of Exalted, where like if you're not <laughs> on top of it, they will just like sneak in and take your precious resources while you're not looking. I'm not using that. I will use <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so what powers a ghost, or what do ghosts like need in like the gas tank sense? Well, uh, say it together now. Essence. Essence. <laughs> Like gods, ghosts can get essence from prayer, which they get from ancestor cults. Uh, sacrifices of things by ancestor cults also appear in the underworld for the intended ghost, um, including anything that's buried as grave goods. There have been a lot of details about the different types of sacrifices you can make to your ancestors in over the, the materials that have been presented for ghosts. Uh, this is also part of why the Immaculate Order is so adamant about stamping out ancestor cults. It's to discourage a comfy afterlife for ghosts who refuse to move on is part of the desire there. Uh, what is that move on thing in reference to? So we talked about the cycle of reincarnation being broken. Souls in Exalted get reused in some way. Uh, so after death, they pass into a state of leaf or leth. I'm not quite sure how that's pronounced. I've only ever seen it in writing and never discussed it aloud. Allah the river, or... Yeah, it's uh, the Greek word. Lethe, okay. Lethe, then. So uh, ghosts can pass into Lethe and forget themselves and get reused as a, uh, as a soul of a new person. But they can get stuck in the underworld and linger and choose not to move on. The Immaculate Order discourages this because the Immaculate Order believes in the cycle of reincarnation to ascend the great chain of being to become divine dragon-blooded um, or semi-divine dragon-blooded. And obviously a lingering ghost is not uh, 
playing their role in the great chain of being. Are ghosts in some way organized? Ghosts may be organized into local societies more than having a broad scale organization. So you have the dual monarchy, which oversees Stygia, which is the center of the underworld. Um, Each death lord rules their own domain. You can also get ghostly societies, uh, like their uh, inclusion guarding the tombs of Sajan or being drafted into the spirit court on Mount Namas, which we will see in Many Faced Strangers, shameless plug. So when you say local societies, that is literally tied to the geography of creation, where it will be tied to a particular uh, geographic area, and it's not like a, a metaphor or something like that? I feel like the answer to that is both. Okay. Sometimes, yeah. The The underworld loosely maps to creation's geography, but also maps to it through time. So things that no longer exist in creation may exist in the underworld because the dead of those places have left them behind. There is discussion of the underworld in third edition being a little bit different than just a remapping of creation as it was presented in second edition, but there hasn't been much published on what that's going to look like in detail. What are the dual monarchies? It is the leadership of Stygia. There's four of them, which makes it dual monarchies. See? I know things sometimes. <laughs> uh, dual monarchies of Stygia are the weird ghost leaders. They're extremely powerful. They make they have a bunch of weird old laws. I think they're in charge of keeping the calendar of Satesh. That's what I remember. Okay. Satesh is actually one of them. <laughs> uh, they also wear masks. And stories about the dead are not my forte, so I don't recall any more details about them. Those are positions, not necessarily people. Like, Satesh is the term for the person who runs that aspect of the underworld, correct? Right. So, on the on kind of the, the 3E side and the mechanical side, can you summon or interact with ghosts? And if so, how does that work? The answer is, yeah, sure, you can interact or summon ghosts. Next question. <laughs> oh, sorry, you probably wanted a better yeah. answer. <laughs> how do you do that, Miss Becca? I think there used to be a spell to let you summon a ghost or it was a thaumaturgic ritual back when that was like a more general thing in second edition. And like, it wasn't really in third edition or first edition rather, but that's really stretching my memory. But in third edition that the sort of thaumaturgic ritual thing probably won't be a thing. Cause that's not, we don't, we're not doing that anymore. So I imagine it will either be like a specific sorceress working, if not just a general necromancy spell, like something summoning a guy seems kind of underwhelming for necromancy. So I would imagine it will probably be something a little bit more powerful or dangerous, like a battle group of ghosts or a really powerful war ghost or a nephrak or some other like beefy ghost, a whole bunch of hungry ghosts specifically sent to fuck over that guy. Like that's what I would imagine. I also didn't bother to check before I ran my mouth. As for interacting with ghosts, the easiest way to do that is that you can literally just walk into a Shadowland and go talk to them. They live there. The shadow, shadow, the underworld is the easiest alternate realm to visit because you just, you can literally just walk right in, provided you are in the right place at the right time of day. But hey, way easier than figuring out the glitch code to get into Malthus. <laughs> so is that literally a case where? the barrier between the worlds becomes thin enough and you just walk into it? Yes, you can You can literally just walk into the underworld. Yep. Or, like, if a ghost is doing some stuff in creation and is dematerialized, like any other dematerialized thing, one of those spirit or essence-seeing charms will allow you to interact with them. And, of course, some ghosts can materialize. Um, usually that's limited to when the sun is not shining or where the sun is not shining. And that is a way to have a ghostly interaction that you probably don't want to have. 
Roll for initiative. <laughs> seeing seeing and interacting with ghosts comparatively pretty easy. Is that one of those things where the ghosts can also easily come to you? Is that a case where only powerful ghosts can do it? Or is it one of those things where powerful ghosts have to be in the underworld or something like that? Is there any tie, I guess, between ghost power and how in creation and all up in your ish they can be? Yeah, to some degree. Um, like, let's say you have a regular guy who dies, but doesn't really want to go move on or whatever, wants to continue seeing their family, right? Mm-hmm. Regular guy, probably get, you're just going to have to find the Shadowland nearest where they died and figure out where they are in the underworld, right? Like, mm-hmm. living in their own underworld farm, farming for bones or whatever. <laughs> Raising greyhounds, who knows? But, like, you can just, he's hes probably not going to leave that area, probably not powerful enough to go fuck around in creation. You may have to go visit him or summon him with a specific ritual, right? However, like, a really powerful war ghost who thinks that they should maybe make some more dead people for their dominion probably can leave that Shadowland, leave that Shadowland with a fair amount of power behind them, like an army or powerful magic or whatever, uh, and then move across the world, you know, making more dead people. Also, hungry ghosts just form in creation. They don't form in the underworld because they're the result of de- the desecrated dead. So they, if the soul is still lingering when, when the body is desecrated, they're just going to form there and be limited to operating at nighttime. Yeah. Also, hungry ghosts, only very edge case of people. <laughs> they do not really have a whole lot of intelligence left. Got it. Got it. They're mostly, you know, pure emotion at that point. Yeah. Okay, so that goes in the bad guys you can put out that you don't need to feel bad about, like, just demolishing them. It's not like, that ghost had a family and was teaching a child to read. Yeah, that was their higher soul. Was okay. the person who was <laughs> teaching a child to read. Uh, and their lower soul is, you know, all 70 years of, of rage in an ninja system, right? Like, <laughs> Got it. This, this, is, this is all the emotion of an oppressed peasant. It's killed 10 men, right? Like, (laughs) that's what a hungry ghost is. Yeah, you don't feel bad about putting that one down. (laughs) Interestingly, uh, even the exalted can leave behind a hungry ghost. Um, And I think we've talked about this when we talked about the building of the solar tombs, that the dragon-blooded very intentionally built these uh, powerful tombs, not just to hide the solar's treasures, but also to appease their spirits because they did not want to deal with the hungry ghosts of of all of the solars that they had murdered. Does anyone have any favorite ghosts? Um, I don't remember any ghosts specifically enough to have a, a strong favorite. So there's no like analog to lesbian stripper ninja. No, sorry. <laughs> We do have a, a pretty cool ghost coming up in, uh, I believe this is going to be adversaries that I can totally spoil. Ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> his name is Tepid Gorin, and he is the uh, hungry ghost of, I believe, he's a Tepid, so I believe he was, in, he was a dragon-blooded. And uh, about a hundred years ago, he, he went off into the forest for a while, disappeared, and what came back to his castle was his ghost. And he is still wandering around and thinks that he's himself uh, and is, you know, going through whatever Tepid Gorin did in life, except he's uh, he's pretty hungry and uh, bad things happen if you go visit him in his castle. That sounds great. I mean, if we wanted to, to talk about underworld creatures, I could toss out some favorite underworld critters. Yes. Do we have a death weasel? I, I don't know if we have a death weasel. Aren't they all death weasels? Yeah. I'm not quite as fixated on muscles as you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
There is a grave hound, though, which is a dog, and they eat corpses, which is great, because you don't want corpses laying around. Um, but then when they do, they absorb an aspect of that person and can basically, like, deliver a last message or something like that, because then they, after they eat the corpse, they then gain the voice of the dead person. So imagine a dog coming up to you and being like, your mother loves you and misses you or whatever, like. <laughs> but in the voice of your mother. Your mom. Yeah, it's both adorable and terribly creepy. Or is it Barrowhound? It's it's in 100 Devils. Uh, it might be Barrowhound. I think it might be Barrowhound. I also update. It was originally in Creatures of the Wild because that was an outstanding first edition book. I think they're in Compass of the Celestial Directions Underworld. And then they are again in 100 Devils. And I did the update for them in third edition. Yep, it's Barrowhound. Barrowhound, not Greyhound. Okay. That's my that's my bet. Adorable, very spooky. <laughs> Puppy. <laughs> well, and like they do that out of compassion, not to like spook people. Like they they're specifically slightly intelligent enough to know that like they are specifically passing on a meaningful message to a person, which is part of the part of thing that makes it cute, not just terrifying. <laughs> Creation seems to have a lot of somewhat cute but weird dog-like entities within it as kind of a recurring theme. The weird dogs made out of star metal created by Adakthon that like hold his secret mission waiting for his return, but in the meantime will gang up on bad guys, but also want to answer to the question of who's a good boy is, uh, is up there in terms of that hierarchy of strange dogs in creation. They're all good dogs, Brent. They're all good dogs. <laughs> 14 out of 10. <laughs> now the underworld. Where do ghosts live? Well, ghosts may make their way back to creation, but more of them dwell in the necropoli of the underworld. What's a necropoli? A death city. <laughs> That's what the word means. <laughs> <laughs> How did the underworld come about? We talked about the primordials being changed by the death of their fetish souls during the Divine Rebellion when we were talking about the nature of the, the Yosis. Those souls were never meant to die, and were never meant to pass through the process of Lethe to, to be reborn, and couldn't. Uh, when they died, they shattered the path of the afterlife, uh, falling towards oblivion, where, because they can also not not exist, they are stuck at the edge of the void as long as existence remains. So they became the Neverborn. Uh, they weren't the first beings that died, but because of their nature, their death uh, reverberated throughout the metaphysics of reality. Interesting. So do you think like when they died, they're like, well, shit, <laughs> like, this wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And they're like, now I'm stuck here. Or like they're going towards the well of oblivion to be reborn and they're just too big and they get like stuck like Homer Simpson, the episode where he goes down the water slide and gets stuck, where it's like, haha, time to be unmade. Damn it! That was more or less canon as of second edition, that like everyone else can circle down the drain, uh, but they can't, and that makes them mad, which is so ordinary, it's funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> as far as motivations for eldritch beings, it's funny, and I don't think it's supposed to be funny, so I don't I don't know that third edition is gonna keep that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Got it. But it was definitely definitely the case in the previous editions. Yeah, it was. So they couldn't die, so they were mad at creation, and that's why they're the bad guys there too or something? Yeah, they they, they, they can't be sucked down the drain, and so they're just they're just stuck. 
their theory is that if they can end all of creation, that will let them sink into oblivion and cease to exist. And that's what's driving their quest to destroy all of creation. So if I can't die, everyone has to die. It has to. That's yeah. flawless, exalted yep. logic for you. It would really so suck if they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, uh, uh So what is the underworld like, Lauren? Um, so the underworld can be it can be bleak or it can be beautiful, which I think is one of the really interesting things about it, where you have, you know, colors might fade as years go by, or they might gain intensity until they're like violently vibrant in places. Um, there's not a lot of wildlife there. If anything gets stuck in the underworld, it tends to either try to get back to creation or it's, it, things are not going to go well for our animal heroes. Um, but things like spiders and rats and carrion creatures like rhytons thrive there. If you, you know, eat food there, whatever's grown is, is bland or bitter. But then again, it might be the sort of thing that is the most sumptuous meal you've ever eaten and the living would pay a whole lot of money to bring it back to creation. And I was thinking about that almost as a parallel to the way ghosts can't experience the emotions that they used to when they were human, not to the same extent that they did. And so they, you know, they try to feed on things like love and rage to get a little bit of that back. And it, I wonder if that's sort of an intentional parallel that things are, are totally faded until that one moment where they're not. And then you experience that beauty and then it's just kind of fades again. When you say feed on that, is that something where they try and go into creation to do it or they try and pull mortals down to do it or they have the ability to like ghost walk around concert halls to experience mortal <laughs> pleasure or something? Or what does that look like? I think it's when they encounter mortals, that's sort of what they're looking to do. There's there's some references to, you know, that that's why they linger sometimes. But then one of the other things that I think, you know, storms in the underworld, um, they're they're never just like little storms. They're always something big and sweeping, and they're they're totally a mood. Like they're not necessarily just water. It might be raining blood. It might be raining tears. I <laughs> I feel like the underworld is just kind of like it. It makes my my little goth heart aesthetically happy. <laughs> So it sounds like the underworld kind of has its own ecosystem, like in the way that uh, Malpheus was very much other and distant. Everything was just supplied by the essence of the Yozis. No one really had to eat. They might do it just to screw with first circle demons. The terrain was literally a demon. Uh, but the underworld seems more uh, natural, for lack of a better term. Is that the case? I, I think so. There's mention that the, um, you know, when it was first formed, there was kind of nothing there. Mm -hmm. You know, the underworld doesn't really have a sun in the sky. It's always kind of gray and, and, and gloomy unless it's nighttime. And then the star, the, the clouds part and the stars, which are not the same as the stars in creation, but you can see the stars overhead. But that what created the environment of the underworld was the memories of the human dead that came into it. And they kind of collaboratively made what's there now. I called um, ghosts post-living, so I would also call the underworld, like, post-natural. That makes sense. So it, it kind of sounds like if you were to ask someone who had been outside a lot but wasn't necessarily a naturalist how nature worked, but they weren't allowed to look at anything, and they're like, uh, so... <laughs> and that seems to be kind of the rules, but also modified by there, this being this emotional layer that may or may not be on top of everything. That in general, the saturation is down 
a bit, but the variance on that saturation is much higher. You may come across that rose bush that is more eminent of rose niche than anything you have ever seen in creation. But on the whole, it's probably a, a dark green like that shade of lipstick I wish were popular again that was kind of cool in the early 2000s very briefly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, that rose bush is probably going to kill you somehow. Yeah, just, okay, just got fair it. warning. Did you know that the color that colorblind people see when they look at like red and green and that they sort of see that as the same hue uh, is called a Stygian tone? Ooh. Ah. So I kind of imagine that parts of the underworld are those colors uh, that people with perfectly fine color vision uh, can't actually see. But I can only imagine what those colors actually look like. When I think underworld i think big ass city so who rules the underworld the dual monarchy consists of four rulers a white and a black monarch each with male and female aspects the monarchs always appear at each other's sides never alone and when the dead speak of the dual monarchy they generally speak of it as one institution and the dead never favor one aspect over the other except for specific applications each aspect of each monarch has its own unique powers and capabilities representing some facet of the underworld so first is uh, Usin, which is the male aspect of the white monarch. He bears the white jade key that represents the monarch's way district. He controls the magnificent jade effigies that guard the borders of Stygia. Usin's bright panoply contains the greatest riches of the underworld, and their presence brings joy to the dead. Aset is the female aspect of the white monarch, serving as the mouthpiece of the void. She knows the secrets of the Whispers of Oblivion, and can control those truly devoted to Oblivion. By lifting one hand, she can call up the terrible storms of the Underworld, or calm them. Setesh, much is made of the master of Stygia's calendar, but he is only one quarter of the dual monarchy's power. Setesh's tower, the tallest spire in Stygia, rises nearest to the calendar above it, and his mastery of that mechanism grants him the power of prophecy when it comes to matters of the Underworld. The Black King oversees all rights associated with maintaining the stability of the underworld and the workings of the calendar. Uh, Nephthys is the female aspect of the Black Monarch. She hears the last whisper of dying and knows many secrets of the living world. She never makes proclamations or revelations, but she does occasionally whisper her secrets into the ears of others, setting events in motion that favor whatever mysterious agenda she has. So we've talked about who rules the underworld and kind of what it is. How does dying work? Ghosts can reform like other spirits do, but they're less likely to do so and may just slip into Lethe um, or into Oblivion unless they've got a powerful patron or a cult or something. There's lots of different ways you can take that as a storyteller, but ultimately they are spirits and so they behave like spirits and can reform, but also have other paths out. Does the underworld interface with the celestial bureaucracy at all? Like, is there a, uh, are there a set of gods that are like when new beings come into existence, it's like, oh, here's your empty souls. And like, there's a shipment of them. I recall there being an ambassador from Yushan to the underworld, but there aren't specific gods of the underworld because it, it came into existence after the Divine Rebellion. Therefore, after the major organization of the bureaus of heaven. So it doesn't really have a proper divine department overlooking it. The Division of Endings is concerned with people dying, but not with the underworld. Uh, and so when we, even when we talk about like gods of death, it's, it's all about the creation side of that before they become ghosts. Is then the underworld just kind of the playthings of the Neverborn, or does it have its own set of agendas? 
there are other agendas going on there. So to a certain extent, the Death Lords are the most powerful power brokers in um, the underworld, where the Neverborn are metaphysically beneath the underworld. Like, they're not in the top layer. You have to kind of travel through the labyrinth down to the mouth of oblivion to go hear their mad ramblings. The Death Lords, who appeared after the Contagion, kind of represent their, their power blocks in the underworld and rule in tyrannical dominion over regions of the underworld. The dual monarchy fairly well controls Stygia, but 3rd edition has also added the the Dark Mother, the patron of the liminals, as a player in the underworld, and left them mysterious so far. Are there any non-ghost beings in the underworld? Yep. Um, in, in addition to the Death Lords, there are... Um, there are- regular mortals who make their lives in the underworld. Uh, I imagine it's not a very easy life to live if you're down there. Like we've talked about, it's pretty hard to grow things. It's it's pretty scarce and bleak in places. Um, but you can do it. You can, you can scratch together a living down there. Um, there are, of course, all sorts of creatures like, like the barrow hounds that, that Monica was talking about. There's, um, uh, there's a type of creature called the Ranti? That is like a, it's not a ghost, I don't think, but it has a collection of ghosts kind of hanging out that it keeps bound to it and uses to uh, speak to them, speak through them. So there's, there's all sorts of weird and creepy creatures that, that live down there in addition to ghosts. Do we get any peeks of any neat ones within 100 Devils Night Parade? Yep. Uh, the Rantai is one of them. There's also one called the ghost fisher, which is kind of like an angler fish, but instead of having like a light, you can't see me gesturing to my forehead because it's a it's a podcast. But the uh, you know the angler fish has the the light on the end of it. It, it dangles a uh, a ghost that is asking for help or a spectral thing that looks like a ghost asking for help. And if you uh, come too close to it to try to see if you can help it, it's probably going to eat you. Can't believe we're not talking about the grief bees. I, I have what? I actually have white robes and grief bees written down. <laughs> well, what are the white robes and what are the grief bees? You're burying the lead here. The white robes are attracted to people who are sad, if I recall correctly. Like they like collect the energy of sadness and grief. And I don't remember them being particularly threatening. They're just one of the things that's just kind of there. Like they look like floating empty white robes and they are attended by bees. And the grief bees turn sadness into sadness, honey, which has magic properties, if I recall correctly. Are those the weird things that have a disembodied green flame in them that periodically pops up whenever Drive Through RPG does a sale and Hundred Devils Night Parade is on sale? I believe they, they might, might be. be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And grief bees are noted because they feed on sorrow but filter out the despair, which I think is a very good high school poetry line. If any, if anyone <laughs> needs one, I'm telling you everything in the underworld is a mood. They're not down there to, like, feed on the dead or fuck you up or anything like that. They're just sort of there. They just exist. Mm. I like things in a monster manual that just exist. It's just Mm -hmm. a weird thing that's there. And the white robes, I think, are on, like, an endless funeral procession, too, as part of it. So how does one get to the underworld? We said that it is the easiest of the other realms to get to because you can just walk there. There are Shadowlands, places where creation and the underworld overlap usually sites of mass death or desecration of the dead. Many of them were opened by the deaths of the Contagion or by battles of the Usurpation, and they remain wounds on the fabric of creation. 
Things in uh, Shadowland take on a sickly or deathly tone, much like within the Underworld, and they exit both to creation and to the Underworld. If you exit during the day, you end up in creation, and if you exit at night, you end up in the Underworld. So they can be places of exchange between the living and the dead as well. Different cities manage them differently. We've talked about Sijan before, the the city of tombs, which is built at the edge of a Shadowland, and there is regular exchange between the living and the dead there, uh, because the funerary priests manage the needs of the dead entombed in the city. On the other hand, a city like uh, Karaskuro surrounds the Shadowlands with salt lines to avoid any ghosts uh, coming out into the city to avoid letting them interfere with the living. Someone had made mention before that one of the Death Lords is kind of stuck somewhere. What what, what are the mechanics of that? The first and forsaken lion. Yes. With all the uh, space marines. Yeah, with all the space marines. <laughs> the first and forsaken lion is in the south, almost the southwest, but not quite. And there just aren't many Shadowlands there, and certainly none large enough for him to march his army out into conquer creation. Okay, so he is stuck in the underworld, but needs a Shadowland to get into creation? Yes, and so he could take his army far somewhere else and go through a Shadowland there, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's hard. It's basically representing the the logistics of ancient world travel, and a a Shadowland is like a pass or a ford where it is a place through, and not all of them are equal. What may be usable for for a small group may not be suitable for an army. So the the Mask of Winters, are they a, as a Death Lord, are they in creation or are they in the Underworld? So like Thorns is now a big old Shadowland, right? So the answer to that question is yes. Oh, okay. So so it is the case where they pull things into the Shadowlands, which allows them to operate into it. The Death Lords in some way are barred from entering creation proper. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he, he lives in um, Juggernaut, which is in creation, and then also in the Underworld at night, because that's how Shadowlands work. If you, if you exit a Shadowland during the day, you'll exit into creation. And if you exit a Shadowland at night, you exit into the Underworld. underworld. Uh, what are the notable landmarks in the Underworld? One of the things that I, I liked that actually was in, in the Exalted 3rd Edition is a, one of the descriptions about it, um, which these aren't specific landmarks, but I, I'm, I'm going to read it because I just it, whoever wrote it gets major points for me. But it teems with oceans of void and rivers of darkness flowing ever away from creation. And I, just, I thought that was just such a cool image of just like everything goes away. But, you know, Stygia is the, is the big city. And it's so big that it's split into a whole bunch of different regions, um, all of which have it has what's the the labyrinth running under it, and at the very center of it is the abyss, which our poor friends, the Neverborn. I guess they're not our friends, but the Neverborn are stuck in or or can't get through, which leads down to oblivion. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about the labyrinth is it, it it's too big; it can't be mapped. You, you, they mine soul steel out of it. A bunch of people would would love to to get things out of it, except because it can't be mapped. There are some shady people who that's not an intentional pun, but uh, will sell you maps <laughs> to the labyrinth, and they're going to be totally useless because, by the way, the labyrinth moves and shifts around. Sticky is this massive city. Is it bigger or smaller than Yushan? Smaller than Yushan doesn't fill the whole of the Blessed Isle the way that Yushan maps to the whole of the area of the Blessed Isle. 
Stygia is still a city, while Yushan is more like a plain. Uh, so you mentioned that there are layers that we have. We have creation, then we have the Shadowlands, then we have the underworld uh, where Stygia is, and then beneath whatever that top layer is, you have the labyrinth, and then beneath that you have the abyss in which or where, where unmaking occurs or something like that. Uh, are there any other places of notes? I just see that there's something called the Thousand here, an ocean of unending night, or was that strictly uh, flavor? Uh, those, those were a couple of, of places that I, when I was, you know, flipping through that I found that I was like, oh yeah, these are really cool. So the Thousand is the uh, mountain range where um, First and Forsaken Lion Citadel is. The, the name of his citadel is uh, the Merciless and the, or is his fortress. Um, and the thing that I, the, the detail that I thought was cool about it was it was formed because his voice in his anguish shattered a chasm into the rock. And that's where he was like, all right, I guess I'm going to build my fortress here. here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guess this is where I'm going to start my army. What's the ocean of an ending night? Uh, it is a, a grotto that is lit by luminescent fish, which I just feel like is one of those really cool images. Like your your characters come through and they're just like lit by these, these weird things swimming around. Um, and if you know your way through the currents, you can get anywhere in the uh, Sea of Shadows and maybe even out to the Great Western Ocean in creation. Are there any stories that anyone has run related to ghosts or the underworld or would like to run? I really like the idea of doing an abyssal high drama in Stygia, basically a conference of the Death Lords where the Death Lords or some set of them are coming together to like meet and solve a problem that faces them all, and therefore like all of their abyssal servants or some large percentage of their abyssal servants are all in Stygia. And so you could have a, a pathos and drama filled what's going on uh, with all of the abyssals um, in one place kind of a thing. I like that that is like the abyssal version of the all thing infernal, <laughs> but probably less of a good time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So for my answer, I have been pumping out these weird high concept things for the last couple episodes when it came to these worlds. Uh, and I thought maybe another one was going to come out of me today, but actually, no, I would, I think Shadowlands and the Underworld make for extremely interesting low fantasy, or at least as low fantasy as Exalted could do. I think a cool game involving the Underworld and the Dead would be like an outcast dragon-blooded game, not a realm dragon-blooded game. So like, you're literally your scrappy heroes, maybe with some liminal PCs too, that could be really interesting um, about dealing with like hauntings and nephrak warlords and people from the dead who want from the underworld who want to make more dead people and how that's a problem for regular people maybe the big bad is just one abyssal or maybe a couple abyssals not even the death lord uh just a real scary celestial level exalt whose whose goal is maybe to tear up the livelihood of the people that you are protecting on a very small for exalted scale i'd almost rather see this focus on how death affects people personally and like communities and stuff and like the beautiful but sad danger that a Shadowland poses. We're we're always saying like Exalted doesn't really have any bad guys, except the Death Lords. And like uh, <laughs> how that like underlying message of their goal is to destroy everyone, and how on a big scale that's really boring, but on a small scale is really terrifying. Toning the back that down from like this is a thing about like high concept world weird shit to know this is about individual people and small communities and mortality 
could be really moving. How about you, Lauren? So there's a district in Stygia. It's called uh, the District of the Whispering Streets. It's basically a haunted area in Stygia, which seems like that's got to be super scary, right? Like the streets are twisted and there's all these abandoned buildings and you're seeing weird shadows out of the corner of your eye. Um, So I would love to do kind of a horror heist game set in there because there are apparently also like libraries full of really cool tomes of forgotten knowledge that people would love to go and get, except if you go in, you tend not to come back out. So I would, I would love to just send a bunch of characters in there and do that kind of adventure but with a little bit of terror on the side. I think the the two things that have been pre- presented so far as being kind of real interesting to me is this seems like a real useful place for the uh, immaculate monks with their ass-kicking boots of ass-kicking, to quote Monica in episode three. And it's just one of those things where like, yeah, you can be the good guys, who the, you can be the bad guys who are the good guys, and you can kind of be like the Ghostbusters exalted. But I like the idea of them having to deal with a whole bunch of these ghostly outbreaks and finding out that something crazy has happened in the underworld, which is driving ghosts to try and go back to the living at some great rate. Uh, Maybe one of the, uh, there has been some puncture in the metaphysical fabric, which is causing more oblivion to slip through than maybe it should. Or there is some evidence that people who go through this other thing aren't coming back and just the number of souls is kind of dropping. I'd also be curious to see the underworld effects of whichever Death Lord was mentioned in the West or whatever deathly power is trying to be like, if you're really cool in the present, you get to be a ghostly ruler forever, which is super fun because you'll have ghost servants. The Silver Prince on Skullstone. I mean, the first adventure I would run is they go and they just look at the calendar of Satesh. And they go, wow, that's a nice calendar. And Satesh goes, thanks, I made it myself. Um, And then we just go on to whatever the next game is going to be. That's, who am I shitting? That would be my game. Best cosmic doodad. And with that, Lauren, as our guest, if we are interested in what you are up to, where can we do that? Uh, I am most active on Twitter as at Falconess, which is F-A-L-C-O-N-E-S-S-E. I don't know where the S-S-E came from, but hey, there it is. That's that's probably the easiest place to find me mouthing off on the internet. Nice. And Monica, how about you? Uh, if you want to follow me for all the fun stuff I post on Twitter, I am at Zenith Sun. You can also listen to me mouth off about game design in a funny but informative way on Bonus Experience, which you can find at bxpcast.com or at bonusexpcast on Twitter. Jazz, if we would like to learn about how to deal with up to one ghost, where can we do that? Uh, you can do that on the Fall of Giara, which is part of the Story Told podcast feed. We have two sessions of play left. We just released episode 51, uh, probably have less than 10 episodes, well, definitely less than 10 episodes left to go. Also, the Fall of Giara does feature towards the end the voice talents of both members of Bonus Experience uh, and also Indeed. Terry. Indeed. So that's a, that's, a, that's a reason to pick it up from the beginning. And if you are interested in a game where the underworld is absolutely fascinating and engrossing and can lead to rich plots, but is nearly impossible to get to for no fucking reason everywhere else, you just need Spirit 3, but suddenly you need to be a goddamn adept, of which there are five, to say goodbye to your dead mother. Listen to Mage the Podcast, at Mage the Podcast on Twitter, and at Terry Robinson for me personally. I have strong feelings about the underworld. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. Go to exaltcast.com to subscribe, see our show notes, or listen to our past episodes. 
We're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Anchor.fm. If you have a question, shoot us an email at questions at exaltcast.com. If you'd like to support our show, please consider using the affiliate links in our show notes to make purchases on DriveThruRPG and the StorytellerVault.com. The opening theme is Return of the Solar Exalted, and the closing theme is the Sidereal Exalted Lesser But Safe from Fanfare for the Chosen by James Simple and is used with permission. In the meantime, Exalted. This has almost become performative at this point. We don't do this all the time, but we do it every time we have a guest. Yeah. We do it like 90% of the time otherwise. So. I, I still think if we had planned this better, we could have had Across the Eight Developers as the name of our final series. <laughs> oh, that would have been really good. Yeah. Uh, hey, maybe yeah. when we start doing a, uh, a uh, recap show for the Exalted TV series, that can be <laughs> Across the Eight in, Writers. In some, sometime in the next five years? Uh, 2039. <laughs> Paradox should have sold the license another three times by then, but... Uh, now they probably refer to it as like doorstops or something like that. That's utterly banal. And you're like, great, you you now ruin doorstops for the rest of culture. Thanks. These are also among the things that don't always make it to the final episode, but, but sometimes do. <laughs> or sometimes just get released as out of context clips. Yes. <laughs> like fucking yeah. the calibration gate. Um, <laughs> this is one of those things where the difference between the Age of Sorrows and the World of Darkness version is paper thin and i'm like i vaguely know things through association hooray (laughs) (laughs) so okay well uh, wraith wins for the weirdest derived term in old world of darkness with amphiskiopolis which is literally the city of double shadows which are the cities formed by uh by specters within the labyrinth noted sex haver terry robinson hi um (laughs) i just like them being emotionally being like uh, you seem pretty broken up about it. You, uh, you gonna eat that? Yeah, right. <laughs> being, being like, yeah, you can have my disdain over him cheating on me. Sure, I guess. It's like, okay, it's fine. Just take the little. Up. Oh, this is go- oh god, that's that's good disdain. Mm. Right. Okay, your description of the underworld seems very similar to like Scotland or like the Faroe Islands. As a thing, it's like it's always brown. You can't see the sun, but the stars are quite pretty. But they don't make sense because you're way more north than you're used to. Um, so that's that's now canon for me. Oh wow, Stygian yeah. blue may be seen by staring at bright yellow and then looking at black. The normal after image is a dark blue. Oh man, because yeah. Stygian uh, colors—that's like I'd go see them. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> they're, they're opening they, a kung fu you... necktie. <laughs> yeah, I. I uh... I used to play bass for Stygian Colors. Um, yeah. Oh. 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 Yeah. You were the fr- uh, you were the front person when they were touring with Dual Monarchies. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So the like, Deathlands tour. Yeah. Um, shades. Shades like that is what I. They they can consent to that. That's fine. There's nothing weird about that part. But it's just like she's fucking this guy. I'm just glad I now have a snippet of Monica going, she's fucking this guy. So (laughs) thanks, Tui. (laughs) Just follow it right up with me yelling, fuck ghost, and then I have so many space marines. (laughs) You managed to find a way to die wrong. Good job. I do like the idea, though, of there being like a jazz funeral version of them where just like going through the underworld, there's just this big brass band going through, and I could. Because <laughs> I'm bad at exalted. Um, got it. So they've got like emphysema for essence, but only in creation. Sure. Okay. Got it. And their weird undead oxygen machine can't be pulled out of the Shadowlands. 
this this makes perfect sense now. That thank you, Chess. You're um, welcome. I'm glad that worked for you. <laughs> it wouldn't wouldn't be a very good labyrinth if it was easy to navigate, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, technically, a labyrinth is easily navigable. Like there's a there is a difference between a labyrinth and a maze. A maze is there to confuse you. A labyrinth is fundamentally a tool of reflection that was created in the early Christian church. That was yeah, but it's not as cool of, a word. It is. Yeah. It is not nearly as cool as like maze is something you put on the back of a children's menu. I totally right. get so, that. So like it is a maze in yeah. the truest sense of the word, but mm-hmm. we're calling it a labyrinth because that's the cooler word. I would also respect that it's one of those things that the labyrinth is a true labyrinth. It merely takes 10 billion years to walk it in its entirety. And by then you've already gone mad or something like that. Except I for dig like, that too. Except for one like guy that. who's still around <laughs> <laughs> or like person who's like, yeah, I totally did it. I don't know what everyone's Maybe that's about. what the Neverborn need to do. They need to walk the, the well, halls labyrinth, of the labyrinth yeah. so they can pass beyond existence. That works surprisingly well. I don't know if you're joking or not, but no, I, I, I'm, that is a, I think that's a cool idea. Nice. Um, so 